It's the 49th running of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. It's such an amazing thing to see all these people just running down the street all at the same time. 60,000 runners. Running releases a lot of endorphins. It's euphoric. 3,500 volunteers. And it's just fun high-fiving all the people when they run by. 6.2 miles. I'm not too concerned about being the first in. I just don't want to be the last one. All on the 4th of July. I'm there every year. Let's get you ready. This is the Peachtree Podcast, the official podcast of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. We're here to help you get ready for Atlanta's July 4th tradition, the AJC Peachtree Road Race. Welcome back for another edition of the Peachtree Podcast. Here with Jay Holder, I'm Jennifer Perry. We've got an exciting lineup today. We've been bringing you some of the best of the best runners here on the Peachtree Podcast, but we have two coming up today, right, Jay? Yeah, we've got two of our elite athletes who are going to be competing in this year's AJC Peachtree Road Race. One of them, a veteran of the Peachtree, finished second here. Another making her Peachtree debut. We talked to Tyler Pennell, who was second here in 2014. A marathoner now, won his debut marathon in 2015. He's coming back. He runs uh, for Zap Fitness up in Blowing Rock, so just up the road in North Carolina. And we also talked to Allie Kiefer. You may have Heard Allie's name after the 2017 TCS New York City Marathon, where she shocked the running world and finished fifth with a huge PR, a time of 2.29, second American, only behind the winner, Shalane Flanagan. Allie has been battling back from her injury. She's coming to Atlanta to, to run Peachtree for the first time. We talked to her about that historic day in New York City, talked to her about the injuries she's dealt with, and we talked to her about an important message that she's sharing with the running community and beyond. She's really been an inspiration for those of you runners who think, okay, I don't have the runner's body. She's been very outspoken on this issue over the last few months. We're going to hear her thoughts on that. But uh, Jay, we have to admit too, we're connecting remotely today here for the Peachtree Podcast because I've noticed over the last several weeks, you guys just get busier and busier at Atlanta Track Club. So just trying to catch up with you this week has been a challenge, but this is really the home stretch before the big race, isn't it? Yeah, it's a long home stretch. I compare it actually to the race course itself. You know how yeah. when you turn on a 10th and you're like, oh, I'm almost finished, right? <laughs> the finish line's right down there. It's actually a thousand meters away yes. <laughs> when you turn onto 10th Street off of Peachtree. And that's a lot farther than you think. <laughs> so that, that's sort of how I feel right now. And I think that's how everybody in the office feels as, as we get in that final stretch. It's close. It's so close you can see it, but there's still a long way to go. So, so conserve some of that energy. Well, part of the run-up to the AJC Peachtree Road Race is just mobilizing this army of volunteers that you have. And it takes a lot of people to organize this race, to keep the runners moving out there. We're going to talk today with one very special volunteer, an actual crew chief, right? Yeah, so we're joined now by Donna Solomon, a longtime volunteer and crew chief for the AJC Peachtree Road Race. She was nice enough to take her lunch break today at work to chat to us about her her unpaid position, but important position as finish line water crew chief at the AJC Peachtree Road Race. Donna, thanks for joining us. Thank you. You have a very important job. First of all, tell us exactly what your, your job title is at the Peachtree and how long you've been doing it. I have been doing it now for, it's about 15 years. I never thought about it until you asked before, <laughs> but yeah, it's about 15 years. I took over from Bob and Dodie Cordes. I used to set up the water early in the morning myself and my friends. 
Um, I have a nice group of girlfriends that come with me every year. They're very committed with me. And we've been doing it for so long that I started setting up the water before Bob and Dodie got there. So they told me that they were going to retire. And naturally, they put my hat in it for me to take over because I had already been doing it, like helping them out in the mornings, which I was very flattered. So I've been taking over the reins from them since I think I've been doing it by myself now for maybe about six years. I'm not sure exactly when they retired because I've gotten so, you know, used to the regimen of doing it, you know, every year. But I love the fact that I am at the finish because after the runners, I have conquered cardiac hill and all those other hills, you know, they get the reward of some water and then the t-shirt. So I take that very, very seriously. We hand out lots of water. Number, I can't give you an exact number because every year that changes. But the past couple of years, we've been doing cold water. But I'm very excited and my volunteers are very excited to play that pivotal role at the end. Yeah, this is not just any water stop. This is the finish line water. So the 60,000 runners are the thirstiest they've been all day when they get to you. You've got to be a very welcoming sight for those people as they cross the finish line, I imagine. Oh, definitely. And I always dress in my 4th of July gear. I have my tutu and all my glitters and everything ready. You know, and all my volunteers are so enthusiastic about, you know, welcoming the runners onto Piedmont Park. So we take that very, very seriously. We are all very excited that they have finished Peachtree Road Race and, you know, to celebrate them. Let's talk about your day because you said you, you talked about getting there early and setting up the water. How early do you have to get to Piedmont Park? And then what does that process look like for you as you're getting ready to welcome the runners? Well, my morning starts about 3.30 a.m. Just a little background. I am a runner. In the past couple of years, I normally get the course pretty early and I run the course and then I set up water early in the morning. So you're out there running the course at 2.30 in the morning? Yeah, because I don't ever get to run the race. So, but um, I get there about 4 a.m. in the morning and just myself and the volunteers that I have that, which are very close friends of mine, they've always come with me every year. Uh, We get started on setting up the water and then we wait for you know our other 80 volunteers to come out and help but I get there very early um, start setting up the Dasani water because past couple of years it's been Dasani's but it's been absolutely great the past couple of years we did ice which is very new to us and I think everyone else because everyone was asking for ice water as a runner that for me it's not great because that shocks my system but they want their cold water I guess after doing what they've done and accomplished that they definitely need that reward yeah the Atlanta Track Club added the cold water last year and the feedback's been great and I'm sure it's changed the logistics a little bit on your end but you've got a team you said of 80 people that's bigger than Atlanta yeah. Track Club staff, to put that in perspective. There's only 30 people on <laughs> yeah. staff at the, at the Track Club. Yeah. What's it like to lead that team? How much work does that entail? I mean, this obviously starts well before race day. You know, I'm going to tell you something. It's all about communication because I start communicating with my volunteers very early. Um, whatever information I 
have gotten from that line of track club, I make it my duty to pass it on to them as early as possible. Last year when they decided that we were going to do ice, I made sure I let them know in advance, you know, all the concerns they had in reference to cold water. You know, everyone had the concerns about whether we were going to have gloves or, you know, they just wanted to know how it was going to be done. So as I get information, I pass it on to my volunteers. But it's all about the communication and I have a great group of volunteers. I am absolutely excited to welcome all of them back every year. They religiously fill out and apply to come back to the water station. You mentioned that core group of friends. Are these people that you knew before you started volunteering? And and how did you convince them to come along with you? I have been PTA president when my children were in middle school at Chapel Hill Middle School. And then they were at Southwest DeKalb High School. So my volunteers that I have, which are very good friends of mine, they have come with me and have helped me out a great deal at probably just about every event that I've gone to. I always extend it to them and ask them to come and help me. And I appreciate it very much with them coming every year after year. They come and they help me, and I truly appreciate it. I know the Atlanta Track Club appreciates that too. I always tell them it's not me by myself. I have my friends with me. Is there ever a year where you said, man, I really wish I could just run the race this year? I do think about that sometimes, but I like the job that I have being crew chief at finish line. It's very rewarding. Yeah. People want the shirt. They need the water. So it's a pretty pretty crucial part of the day. Can you take me back to that first year? How did you, how did you get involved? A friend of mine, uh, Ms. Bernadette Wright, she invited me. I guess someone extended it to her, and I started coming with her. And as the years went on, you know, some years she decided that she couldn't make it, so I just kept continuing to do it. And then I started to extend, you know, that invitation to other people on my Facebook page, you know, if they wanted to join me, because that's what I did on 4th of July. It was my annual thing that I did on 4th of July. And I started bringing my family with me, and that's how it started. It's become an annual thing within my friends and I, you know, we bring our family with us. So your family volunteers with you or do they run the race or maybe a little bit of both? My, my family volunteers with me. I only I have one friend, Sonia. She ran the race one year and I was so excited to be at the finish line to welcome her. Her name is Sonia Reed. She ran the race, I think it was a couple of years ago. It's been two years and I was so happy to be at the finish line to greet her as she came in. And it was a great feeling. I have to imagine you've seen, so I can't do the math in my head this quickly, but you know, hundreds of thousands of people come through that finish line. Is there anything that stands out? Any great stories of a finisher that came through the water station? I'm going to tell you, there's a nice gentleman that comes every year and he takes myself and another crew chief, our pictures, and every year he brings that picture back and he gives to us. And I look forward to seeing that gentleman. I still don't know his name, but I see him every single year. He tells me to stand. He tells myself and my fellow crew chief to let's take a picture. And he brings it back every year. I just happened to get in the picture like the past couple of years. But, so a year um, later, he runs the race with that picture and hands yep, it to you at the finish. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, it's been an annual tradition of his. He took one of my crew chief's picture and you know she encouraged me one year she said come and stand with me and uh you know he'll take our picture she said next year you'll bring it back to us but he does that every single year for how many years you estimate 
over 10 years, I think he's been doing it. And she, I think she's had every picture he's taken. That is one of the great runners that come through. And, you know, things like that, it truly touched your heart that someone, you know, was so thoughtful to, you know, do something like that for us. That's incredible. I want to talk a little more about your run, your middle of the night run. Can you tell me <laughs> when that tradition started and what that's like running down Peachtree at 2.30 in the morning? I started doing that uh, some years ago. I was a little bit heavier than I am now, and I started to try and change my life in reference to losing weight and you know trying to get more healthy. I started walking at first, and then I started running. My highest weight was, I think I was 210, and the lowest I've gotten to is 135. Right now, I am at 150, so I'm just trying to stay steady at 150, but that's how it started, and I just started running. I've done uh, half marathons, a lot of 5Ks. I haven't quite conquered a full marathon, like sign up and do it yet. I'm very excited, though. Did volunteering lead to being a runner? I was not a runner before, but I absolutely love it now. Was seeing the peach tree all these years part of the catalyst that, that got you into running? Definitely, because I, you have to be pretty fit in order to do that type of race, so definitely. Hey, I know you're at the hospital. What do you do with your day job? I am a unit clerk on medical oncology floor. So you are helping people 365 <laughs> Yeah, 24 hours a day. Every day, (laughs) yes. So helping people, being of service, being a smiling face is is just in your nature, it sounds like. Absolutely. That's at the core of who I am. I love helping people, love giving back to my community in any way that I can. Well, I won't take up too much more of your your lunchtime. I really have learned a lot about part of the race that I haven't seen today. Donna Solomon is the crew chief at the Finish Line Water Stop and the person you want to see most after finishing the world's largest 10K. Donna, thanks so much for talking to us on the Peace Street Podcast. Thank you so much. Peace Street Podcast brought to you by Delta. With Delta, fly towards something better with the help of 80,000 employees who do everything they can to help you explore what's possible. Your next opportunity is a flight away with service to the most destinations nonstop from Atlanta. Delta is the official airline of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. Delta, keep climbing. Tyler Pennell joining us from Boone, North Carolina. Tyler, coming back to Peachtree after a couple of year absence. I think the last time you were here was in 2015 when we did the Team USA competition. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And you've had a pretty good history here. In 2014, you were second, so... I imagine expectations are, are pretty high coming into the race. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was second in 2015 as well, so I want to try and improve, you know, and win. So that's a, definitely one of the goals. But definitely come and just compete with, you know, it's going to be a good American field. It's the U.S. champs. So I imagine you, you've got to still be riding the high five weeks, six weeks later from finishing fourth in the Boston Marathon. It was quite a day. You did a lot better than I did in that weather. <laughs> um, I was just reading something you wrote online about how much of a struggle it was just to complete the race. So can you talk a little bit about the conditions up there in Boston and then what the feeling was like after you crossed the, the finish line and saw you were, you were in fourth place? Yeah, those are probably the worst conditions I've ever run in. It was just, you know, the unpleasantness just never stopped. There was never really a break or anything that never stopped raining. It was never not a headwind. And so, I mean, that's what just made it tough. And fortunately, I had Tim Ritchie and I ran together with for the first 17 miles. And, and, you know, just being with him helped a lot. Even we were trading leads and just working together. And we, you know, kept catching groups of people and just kind of 
trying to make the leap to the next group. But actually, I didn't even know when I had finished. Um, I mean, I was just like kind of overcome with emotion just being at that race. And, you know, it's such a historic race. And the last mile, I mean, even with those terrible conditions, there were so many people out there cheering. And it was still pretty emotional. And I didn't even know I got fourth until I got into the tent. And I was pretty happy about that. And it really didn't even hit me until later. So, <laughs> What's the recovery been like for you? Because I've heard from so many people who ran the race, both elites and, and everyday runners, that it's taken longer to recover from that particular marathon <laughs> than, than any other marathon they've run in the past. Um, actually, I would say for me, it was opposite. I mean, it, was, it wasn't a fast marathon. It was hard, but it wasn't fast. So like, you didn't beat yourself up physically quite as much, I feel like. But, um, I mean, I came back pretty well. I've, you know, I actually went to Ireland for two weeks with my girlfriend. So we just kind of spent two weeks not focusing on running too much and just having fun doing that. And, I mean, since then I've gotten back and just slowly built up. I've just done a couple workouts. My coach isn't big on coming back, you know, super quick from marathons. I've had a lot of history with getting injured about two months after coming back after a marathon, after I've built up and started training hard again, I have tended to get hurt. But in marathons, one of the things that I think is really notable about your career is, is the level of success you've had at that distance, winning your first one out of the gate, mm-hmm. uh, doing well in the trials this past two years ago, and fourth place in, in Boston. But you've also got an incredible range, under four minutes in the mile, uh, have a pretty great 10K time. How do you vary up the training to keep yourself fresh at all of that wide range of distances? I mean, part of it is just um, my coaches Pete Ray's training philosophy that you need to almost just kind of be maybe a month or so out of being able to run a PR in the mile or a PR in the marathon. I mean, for us, I mean, our training is very aerobic based, very lidiard, a lot of long aerobic works. And then we just very lightly touch on the speed, maybe at the end of a long workout. And that helps keep the speed and make it so you can run faster at the end of the you know race. And so everything he does is geared towards whatever race we're looking at. So what does that training schedule look like for you over the next several weeks leading up to Peachtree, Tyler? Right now, it's just, uh, it's just kind of getting back into running, uh, getting that aerobic back up a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. a c- couple weeks off still kind of puts you back a little bit. And then also do get some speed. I'm going to be doing, you know, Peachtree is going to be kind of the kickoff for a summer road racing season. And so I want to run well at all those. And I've finished all my other seasons at Peachtree. So I'm looking forward to doing like Falmouth and Bix and, you know, those type of races. And but just kind of get back and have a good summer that can set me up for the fall. We certainly hope we don't have the Boston kind of conditions on July 4th. It's <laughs> happened every once no. in a while. But how do you adapt to the heat? Are you training in places where you're also adapting your body to that too? Yeah, it's uh, been pretty humid here. It hasn't been terribly warm, but it's been pretty humid. So, But I, I've run well in the heat before. The trials were, was hot and couple other races I've done run well have been hot so I just I think a lot of it is just a mindset as well you know I came into Boston and prepared to know that the conditions were terrible and that it was just you know gonna just whoever was tough and it was just go out and race yeah it's gonna be one of those days but uh, yeah we hope the third time is the charm for you here yeah, at Peachtree but uh, are you yeah. adapting your strategy based on what happened I think a lot of people in particular remember the finish back in 2014 are you changing your strategy at all to deal with the heat yeah. of the hills here <laughs> no well it's funny is in 2014 when I finished second I kind of went almost the start of the hills almost right around 5k four miles probably really more I took off and started pushing the hills and 
then in 2015, Christo started pushing the hills at the same place to try and open up the pack. And so, it, it, you know, I maybe need to find something different to do. But each time I've been out kicked in the last, you know, 400 meters. But I think just right now is just kind of work on some speed and get back to used to running faster, not marathon pace. So thinking about that 10K race strategy, are you ever the kind of guy that's going to take the race out and make people chase you down? Or are you going to stick with the pack and try to cover the move? I don't know. I think I'm definitely more, ideally I should probably sit back a little bit longer. I mean, one of my better races was in 2015 at Twin Cities 10 mile. And I kind of sat back until about a mile-ish to go and then went for it rather than, you know, I, I, I like a little bit longer sustained push. So, you know, 10K, maybe that's, you know, a mile to go. or So I think maybe that's probably my best strategy is to do something along those lines. Looking long-term, the 2020 trials are, are going to be here. Marathon trials are going to be here in Atlanta. Is this trip in July perhaps a chance to get a look at some of the potential terrain you'll be running on in that race? Yeah, it's definitely, um, it'll be something in the back of my mind. Uh, you know, I have, I mean, this will actually be my fourth Petrie. I was there in 2013, I guess, it was the year before that. So, I, you know, I'm familiar with Atlanta, you know, with the course there. And I know Atlanta is a hilly city, and I know that f- plays into my favor a little bit. But and we're, you know, only about five hours from Atlanta, so I'm sure we'll be taking a couple trips down to preview the course and run the course a little bit. When you look at the depth of marathon running, especially on the men's side in the United States, you're in a pretty good position to really be the, the next torchbearer there. Does that ever enter your mind as you sort of look at the competitors in that field? Yeah, I mean, I just want to be as best as I can. And I know coming in 2012, my goal was to make the team and I fell a little bit short. And But there's, you know, a lot of good guys that just, you know, the older I get, the just the more I see these young guys and they're they're hungry and they were like I was, you know, when I was younger. And I mean, I, I enjoy that aspect and it helps drive me to, I don't want to just like hand over the torch or, you know, or the torch just to be handed to me. I want to earn it. Yeah. But uh, we continue to see people still performing well <laughs> into their forties. I mean, do you yeah. look at running as a long-term thing for you, Tyler? I do. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've kind of been living four years at a time right now, but yeah. you know, I do want to do this as long as I can. So, you know, I'll re- reevaluate in 2020, but I mean, I truly enjoy this sport and I like just the community that's built around it. And I mean, especially with Zappies, we have a really great community with our running camps and stuff. And it's just fun to be around the sport. Tell me a little bit about how you ended up with Zap and Blowing Rock and what it's like to train with them every day. Training with Zap's great. I mean, it's I've been here almost six years now and I really enjoy Pete as a coach. And when I was looking at out of college, I was looking at a bunch of groups and I, you know, I looked around and I just I took a visit to Zap and I really liked the atmosphere and Pete as a coach and I knew I could succeed here. And that was my main reason for choosing it. But we have a good group of guys and a lot of them are actually starting to move up to the marathon. So I'll have some training partners and stuff more than I've kind of had the last few years. But it's it. I mean, it's good to have some younger guys on the team that kind of keep you young in a sense. And I know Shalane's kind of talked about that with the group up in Bowerman Track Club with the younger girls on the team for her. But and it's kind of similar for me. And yeah, it's good. You've been there six years. Are you are you regarded as one of the the senior members now? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, without a doubt. But I will say, um, since I've been here, this is the probably the oldest on average team that we've probably we've had at Zap, maybe. I mean, we've had I've been here almost six years. Another guy has been here almost five. We've had another guy that's been here almost four. So it's good that we've had some just solid team that's 
been here for a while. And uh, Tyler, I know for a lot of you guys, you're going to be really competing on July 4th. The rest of us behind you, we're just there for the t-shirt and we're trying to get to that finish line. But I'm wondering from an elite racer's perspective, do you keep some of that race memorabilia for yourself? Is that important to you at all? I do, yeah. My mom has talked about it. She has so many projects that she's doing with, uh, but she likes the quilt. So she's like, okay. oh, save all your t-shirts and <laughs> I'll make a quilt out of them someday. She's doing that for um, some of my good friends at, from Zap, for uh, Cole and Esther. So that, that's one reason why I keep them. Well, Tyler, we look forward to seeing you here on July 4th and wish you great success. Yeah, thanks. Out running. Thanks, Tyler. Looking for a whole new kind of energy bar? The Cliff Kitchen has brought together two great energy foods, a delicious creamy nut butter inside an organic energy bar to deliver sustained energy. Be sure to stop by the Cliff Bar booth at the Expo and try Cliff Nut Butter Filled Energy Bar. We love to pick the brains of the elite athletes who are going to be running Atlanta's July 4th tradition here, the AJC Peachtree Road Race. And one of those athletes is Allie Kiefer, and maybe you've heard her name, especially over the last several months, but I understand that you actually know her pretty well. Yes, I had the privilege of getting to run with Allie for a little bit back when we both lived in New York, and uh, she's gone on to much bigger and better things. You've probably heard her name in association with the TCS New York City Marathon, where she placed fifth in 2017, second American behind only Shalane Flanagan, and a huge PR. Now, Ellie, who's joining us from Albany today, is coming back from injury and looking to run the AJC Peachtree Road Race for the first time? The first right? time. And you're in Albany because you're getting ready for your first race back from injury. Is that correct? Yes. I'm racing Fryhoffers on Saturday. First of all, what was the injury and how has your comeback been so far? So I had a stress fracture in my second metatarsal in my right foot. And the injury has been a lot harder to come back from than I thought. I've actually had stress fractures before in the same exact place, which was part of the problem. I started working with a physical therapist to kind of change the way I landed on that foot and push off because my mechanics, they weren't great. And that's why I kept getting the repetitive injury. So we worked on that and activating some other muscles like my glutes that were not maybe working as well as they could have. And I was overusing some other muscles. So... I tried to kind of balance everything out. We did a lot of exercises while I couldn't run. And then I kind of thought right afterwards, I would feel great. I would come back to running. Everything would go smooth. And I'd have like this big curve of getting better every single week like you do after an injury. But maybe I just changed like too many things at once because I really just haven't felt great I increased my miles and I changed my diet and I've been doing a lot of activation exercises. So I've put in a lot of work and hopefully, you know, I feel good on Saturday and I see some improvement from that end, but it definitely didn't come back as quickly as I thought it would. It's been five months since, since the marathon and, and maybe you're sick of talking about it at this point, but, but I want to go back to that day because I think that that performance is, is going to go down as one that a lot of people, fans of the sport and just casual observers are going to remember. So take us back to the New York City Marathon. It was your only your second outdoor marathon. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> we'll talk about the indoor marathon in a second. But second outdoor marathon, a huge PR. What were your expectations going into that day? And then what was that feeling like when you came across the finish line? Yeah, I was hoping to run like 233, 234, somewhere around there. I thought it would be a great day. 
And I kind of held back the first half, stuck to my race plan. And then about halfway through, I started kind of reeling the top group in. And I was like, why is everybody running so slow? Like, I legitimately thought that the rest of the field was having a bad day. Did you not know you were on 229 pace? So halfway through, I was on 233 pace. Wow. So I um, just kind of picked it up as I went and really... I haven't had a marathon where I've hit the wall and felt really bad. Like I felt bad in five and 10 Ks, but I don't know if I've just been too conservative in a marathon. I don't know my like full potential, but I seem to have hit the jackpot on every single marathon I've done. So when I crossed the line, I didn't know that I had gotten fifth, but I knew that I'd placed pretty well. And I just sat on like the sidewalk in disbelief for, you know, a little while, like what just happened? So, <laughs> But obviously it goes back to the training. Did you do anything differently in those months leading up to the big race? I mean, I definitely got into better shape. Like I knew I, everything was going well in training. Not every single day. I still, you know, had hiccups in my training, but I did go into my races that fall thinking like, oh, I'm going to place top three or really make a jump into that next level. Mm -hmm. And it never really happened. And then I got to the marathon and I thought, you know, okay, maybe I'm just not there. Like maybe my training says something then where I'm really at and maybe I was, my ego was a little too high, but obviously it all worked out on marathon race day. And I did taper a lot. And I think I do really well when I pull back the miles a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I did that for the marathon and I didn't really do that for my races before that. So it was a good learning curve of like what to do in the future for a marathon and probably for shorter races as well. The last couple of days leading up to the marathon, as I understand it, you didn't run at all, right? You were battling a little bit of an injury? Oh, it was like the three weeks before. So I ran, but I took several days off a week leading up to it. So maybe that works for you. But uh, since the race, since New York, what has life been like for you? Because I know I first started hearing your name after New York and you started appearing in a number of publications out there. So what's life been like in the spotlight after that race? It's funny because it has been really different and people want to talk to me and hear what I have to say and are interested in my viewpoint, which people weren't before. I don't really think anything's changed from my perspective as much. Mm -hmm. But I did have a lot more opportunities. Wazelle is now sponsoring me, and they've just been amazing to me, like really supportive. And and I'm on my own a lot, so it's just nice to have like people in my corner and people I can talk to, like when I got the injury. And it can be hard when you don't really have that kind of support. So that's been really nice. Uh, I got to go train in Kenya with mm. Betsy Sinai for seven weeks, which was just an incredible experience to learn from the Kenyans and especially her. She's a fantastic runner who just ran 222 in a marathon. And unfortunately, I got the stress fracture. But then also back to Lazelle, like I got support after I was hurt. And they kept investing in me to try to figure out what was wrong and how do we prevent this from happening again. You've also been able to share what I think is, is clearly an important story and, and message to you, a message about body image. And I think that that's really resonated with a lot of runners from the elite to the beginner. Can you talk about a little bit about that and, and why that's important to you? I think I've always been an advocate for positive body image, and now I just have a platform to talk about it. I just feel like too many of us hear that we have to be really lean to be fast, and I haven't really found that to be true for myself. Like, when I'm at my leanest, I haven't run my fastest times. 
So I don't necessarily think that's true. And I just think that's a really negative way for especially really impressionable teenagers to go into like something like a college program thinking that they have to be super lean to be fast because it leads to a really unhealthy state that people try to get to in a desire just to be fast. And really, as I lift more and I am a bit more explosive and have more power off the ground, I run a lot faster. So in my own experience, I felt that that hasn't been true. And I wasted a lot of time and I got some injuries just because I was trying to be fast somebody else's way. Ellie, tell me a little bit about the feedback you've gotten now that you've really put those body issues out in the forefront. What have you heard from runners who feel supported by your message? Yeah, mostly it's really positive. Most people are happy that I'm sharing it and really supportive about it. I don't think you should be unhealthy. I feel like you should be healthy. I just don't think that most people's problems is that they're eating too many cookies. I think the problem is that we're getting told to never eat. So I don't. I feel like that's who I'm talking to. And people have been really supportive and nice. And, and I know that people talk about like social media and how there are trolls and whatever. Everyone who writes up comments on my stuff is so nice and supportive. I mean, it's just been a really great way for me to make a name for myself because people have been not just supportive of the message I'm sending, but of me as a person and like what I'm trying to pursue in the athletic side. I think you've managed to break through to a lot of runners who didn't feel like they had that typical runner body, male or female, Allie. I think that's the inspiring message that you brought to a lot of us. But let's face it, you're not a big runner. You're a lean thing yourself. It really goes to show that there is sort of this stereotype of what you need to do to be a runner, but it's all about just us living a healthier life, isn't it? Yeah, and what does a runner look like? How can you say that someone doesn't look like a runner? I just think that's ridiculous. And no, I'm not big. So I feel like there have been some people who have, under my self article, like wrote comments like, but this girl isn't big. And that's the thing, I'm not big. (laughs) But in the running world, we're so skewed on what is big and what's not. And that's what needs to change because I think too many people fall out of love with the sport because they're told to eat less. Or I actually had a father of some girl in college email me to ask me about advice because his daughter had gained weight. She's a freshman in college and she'd been running PR still, but he thought and her coach thought she could do better if she lost weight. Hmm. I mean, that's so terrible. She's a freshman. She'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. Everybody gains some weight when they go to college, your body changes and you sort it all out and she's still running amazing. I mean, it's a sport sometimes where we're so much desire to continue to get better that we forget how well we're doing in the present. Yeah. And I think that is all tied to the body image stuff too. It's like we always want to be better and thinner and we need to learn how to self-loving and happy with ourselves in the present. It's a great point. And it goes so far beyond running. It really is applicable to, to all sports. I want to get back to the marathon and the upcoming AJCP Street Road Race. First, I had said that I would explain what I meant when it is, I said your second outdoor marathon. So I'll come back to that. You ran the world record it's since fallen, but at the time was the world record for the marathon indoors. Explain to people what that (laughs) is. I think most people are going to say that's crazy. I think most people are right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a little crazy. No, it's 211 laps on an indoor track. And after an hour running, you just flip, you turn and run the opposite direction. Isn't that boring, (laughs) Allie? (laughs) 
So I was going for the world record, which I was the only girl actually at the time. So that race, like my race, was a little bit boring. But there was also at the same time four or so men going for the world record as well. And that was really competitive. And so I just kind of lost myself to their race and like, you know, was entertained by them running. Feeding off that energy. That's so cool. But uh, when it comes to the next goal for you, obviously you're battling injury, coming back from that. Have you allowed yourself to set your sights on 2020 or do you think that far ahead? I don't really think that far ahead, no. I mean, yes, that's the end goal is to get to Atlanta in 2020 and set myself up for a really great race. And I think the biggest thing for me is figuring out how to stay healthy between now and then so I can just put consistent work in. Well, you are coming to Atlanta in just about a month and a half. It won't be a marathon. It'll be a 10K. But before you gained national attention for your marathon performance, you were a 10K runner and a a pretty good one at that. What's your training focus for the 10K and and what are your hopes out of this US 10K championship? I definitely want to run well. I I know I'm going to do a fall marathon. So this for me is like putting the basin for like a speed basin for a fall marathon. Getting out there and being competitive again and relearning how to hurt and all that stuff that goes in from a long layoff because I really spent six weeks completely off my foot. So getting back into the rhythm of it all and I love racing into shape and giving myself to get excited for. So I'm just really excited to go back to road racing and be at a national championship and say that, you know, I'm coming back from injury and no excuses, but I've come a long way because I used to have to like taper down. That was the thing I trained for for six months was for the national championship. So I'm kind of excited to be at a new level and just see how I can mix myself in while getting ready for the fall and still coming back. Because I think that I'll run my best race in Atlanta this year if I can just continue adding a little bit each week. You know, I don't need to like rewrite the whole training plan or anything like that, if that makes sense. Well, a lot of our listeners right now are in the home stretch of their training plans too, Allie. And since you have this track record now of setting personal records for yourself, do you have any tips for those of us who are going to be behind you on July 4th in terms of maybe how to trim a few seconds, if not minutes off of our times this year? There's a lot to go into just trying to get the best out of yourself each race instead of to like compete against everyone else around you. And even as an elite, that's what I'm focused on. Like, how do I run my best race? And so I try to visualize what that looks like. For me, that's usually going out conservative and running a smart race. And I think about like how I'll feel, you know, where I'll be in the mix of other elites and how I'll progress throughout the race. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's really applicable to everyone. I go more off of feel than time because you don't necessarily know what that time is going to feel like especially a 10k it's you know it's long you're in the heat you're gonna be out there for a while just understanding where your body's at and how you can like progress and push it and what you should be a kind of feeling at certain markers are really indicative to me to having a good race well do you do any specific heat type training uh, i know it doesn't get as warm out west and you're in albany where it actually does get pretty humid people don't know that but it gets pretty humid there yeah so i've thought about it my friend lauren may be racing and she lives in Tennessee. So I thought maybe I'd go down and hang out with her for a week or so before the race. I'm not sure yet. 
you know, I've been away a long time, so it, I've heard it's been really hot in Buffalo recently. And if it's not, I might just throw some layers on. And <laughs> I've never done that before, but I definitely want to give myself the best chance that I can come race day. So I'll go to that level. Well, we did move up the start time a half an hour early this year. So hopefully that will help just a little bit with that heat. That works. I'm a morning person, so I'll be running. <laughs> Allie Kiefer was fifth in the TCS New York City Marathon in 2017. She's making her Peachtree debut this year. Allie, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. The Know the PNC Bank supports you before and after the finish line with PNC Virtual Wallet. Get all the details at pnc.com slash virtual wallet. PNC Bank, proud sponsor of the AJC Peachtree Road Race, PNC Bank National Association member FDIC. With some great guests on this week's episode, we have more coming up for you next week here on the Peachtree Podcast. And as always, Jay, we welcome questions too from our podcast listeners I know uh, one reached out to us on Twitter this week and said, this is really one of her bucket list races. It sounds like she's coming in from out of town. And I know a lot of Atlanta natives, we like this race, but I'm sure you see a lot of people from different states and countries attend this and put this on their running bucket list. And we've got four people from Australia running this year. Wow. Uh, It's really (laughs) exciting. 48 states this year. So we gained a Dakota. Last year we were Minus two Dakotas and a Wyoming. But we have <laughs> South Dakota this year, so rock on South Dakota. Uh, so people from all over the world, all over the country. It really is a celebration of Atlanta, but it's a celebration of running for people who live here and people who don't and just, just love getting out there and getting moving on July 4th. Wherever you're listening, wherever you're training, we'd love to hear from you this week. So you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, reach out to us there. But also stay tuned next week. We have another defending champion joining us here on the Peachtree Podcast, right, Jay? Last year's finish was one for the ages, a three-way sprint down 10th Street to the finish line. You didn't know who was going to win. I remember standing there saying, I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know who it's going to be. Until the last second when Leonard Career pulled ahead of the other his two teammates and won the race, we're going to talk to Leonard about that thrilling finish last year and how he hopes to repeat this year. Well, don't miss us right here next week on the Peachtree Podcast. You've been listening to the Peachtree Podcast, the official podcast of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. Thanks to this week's sponsors. For more information, visit atlantatrackclub.org. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ATL Track Club. A DYJ Media Production.